Stand by. If you're a radio fan, either inside the industry or on the other side of the speaker, you are going to love the deep dive conversation I have in store for you with one of the audio media industry's most influential and knowledgeable players. He's the chairman of the Radio Hall of Fame, and that's just something he does on a volunteer basis to express his deep love of the medium as a cultural and artistically iconic piece of society. He's a seasoned businessman who's helped build and develop one of the largest modern-day radio networks. He's a consultant who gives advice to some of the most active production companies creating the accompanying sounds of today's radio stations and shows such as jingles, commercials, and station identifiers. Most importantly, he's a manager of and advisor to some of radio's most important on-air personalities, giants that include such names as Jim Rome, George Norrie, Delilah, and Rush Limbaugh. Our guest this week is Craig Kitchen. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Interview, the weekly podcast from Podcast One for media freaks, pop culture aficionados, political junkies, and the philosophically curious. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MH Interview. I can be reached directly via email at michael at talkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it, as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be presenting an uninterrupted conversation with one of the radio industry's leading behind-the-scenes movers and shakers, Craig Kitchen, immediately following this brief message. Hi, everybody. This is Susie Orman, and soon we'll be launching my new podcast, Women and Money. Don't you miss it. On the show, besides having a lot of fun, we're going to answer financial questions from listeners and maybe, just maybe, we'll even put you on so we can have a chat. Wouldn't you just love to talk to me? So be sure to check out Women & Money on Apple Podcasts, podcastone.com, and the new Podcast One app. Okay, here we go. An uninterrupted conversation with the chairman of the Radio Hall of Fame, Craig Kitchen. Craig Kitchen, it's a pleasure having you on the Michael Harrison interview. Uh, you have such a wide range of interests, involvements, and history. It's difficult to know where to begin. Um, where does your heart lie? What do you think of yourself? What are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> You're very kind. Uh, to have earned the trust of that many individuals over the course of time who have a passion for the radio industry, the same level of which I do is um, a great honor. So when I do grow up, I would love to be known or at least accomplished um, a, um, a great reality for all of us that this business in a lot of ways is about selling products and services. And uh, the greatest of air personalities uh, not only has the ability to um, uh, compel you to listen maybe even longer than you wanted to and certainly to make your radio a priority in your life, but also then to um, convince you that uh, you need to buy that product or service that uh, they may be really, truly believing in. 
Before we go further with that, and I understand that and agree with it completely, would I be getting you in trouble with your clients if I got you to admit, though, that you still love the art and magic of radio? Absolutely, 100%. I would admit that. Um, That is by far the piece of this business that captivates me the most. And uh, no matter how many years you've, you've been around it or you've witnessed it firsthand, it is still truly magical to see. And now with the advent of podcasting, I mean, looking at 500,000 plus podcasters, including yourself around this world, to watch the amount of audio that is now being consumed on demand in addition to broadcast radio. I mean, these are these are our best years. Interesting point when you say audio, because um, with every device manufactured today having a screen, a visual screen, it kind of leaves radio and audio podcasting out uh, on the fringe in terms of the full capacity of the device. And a lot of people worried that we may be coming to the end of audio media, but um, the numbers indicate otherwise. They do indicate otherwise. Uh, There will always be... I think um, a lifestyle where individuals are left by themselves on purpose, either through a commuting period or working from home or um, exercising or just choosing to have downtime, where they choose to be entertained. And some individuals need the visual stimulation that comes from broadcast television or Netflix, and others choose the companionship of a trusted voice telling them a story or giving them news or sharing with them some of their favorite songs. And I believe that still is in its zenith years. Um, And that's one of the reasons why we see something. Podcasting is nothing more than audio on demand with really compelling, authentic voices. And uh, if there's anything new to that, it's just the reality that there are that many voices that are available and that the on-demand function is kind of a new toy. I see podcasting as an extension of radio. I, I, I think of what we're doing right now uh, will not be heard on any radio station, but it is a podcast. But to me, the same exact theory and psychology and process is at work as if I were interviewing you on the radio. Some people say, is podcasting a competitor of radio? And they ask me that question, or what's radio going to do uh, now that podcasting is, is out there? Uh, I see them as the same thing. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think that radio and podcasting, is, even going further, radio and the Internet are, are made to operate together. What are your thoughts on that? The best broadcasters are individuals who have one person in their mind at a time when they share their stories or they share what really fascinates them. And uh, we've seen that over the course of time, you and your mind and and, uh, uh, whether or not it's um, the charts on talkers or the others that memorialize the ones that are really successful at doing that um, are still speaking to one person at a time. But knowing instinctually that there is a lot of people within Fort Wayne, Indiana, or the Los Angeles area, or South Florida, or wherever they get to broadcast, and they have to take into consideration the context of their community. Uh, Podcasters and individuals who do that very often have the skill of being able to speak to one person at a time, but they do so without the geographic boundaries um, and sometimes without the sense of timing or the sense of urgency 
uh, and so their content creations are, are different. Um, it will prove to be a very good testing ground and proving ground for the broadcast medium where the stakes are highest. Interesting how uh, you mentioned before the uh, the psychology of one-on-one and, and, and broadcasting audio uh, one mind into another. Um, uh, there have been a lot of studies on this in terms of media theory and research. Uh, it's academic. It goes back all the way to Marshall McLuhan and even before that, that the whole um, neurological process of absorbing information through the ear as opposed to the eye is very different and that um, there's a power to the ear. Do you think that, uh, back to what you mentioned before about selling products, do you think that there's a different approach and perhaps even a different effectiveness to advertising on radio versus television? There is. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, neurons or, or the way that the mind reacts because there is emotion involved uh, in some level. That could be just massive enthusiasm for the discovery of a product or a, um, a very emotional pitch or a story being told that draws people in or just the warmth of somebody's voice who might be the most reassuring five or ten or fifteen minutes a day that they may have with somebody that lets them know at the same time the world is okay or you're safe or I'm gonna make sure that you feel better at the end of this listening experience um, that I think the the instinctual combination of um, that friendship combined with uh, the enthusiasm or earnestness of sharing um, a conversation about a product or service goes a long way, more so than seeing it displayed on television. And because your mind is painting a picture, and I think when your mind paints a picture of something, you are using your creativity as a consumer, and that stays longer than hypothetically watching a chainsaw being advertised in a television commercial for 30 seconds, for instance. Mm. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, we're so in the habit of uh, spots and uh, a certain amount of time allocated to uh, the presentation of a commercial. Um, one of the things that I uh, often say when I talk about pop culture and the changes in society, that the three things that are going to be most scarce in the 21st century um, is clean water, privacy, and time, the time itself. And we're seeing that people have never been as stressed and as rushed as uh, we're seeing now. Anytime in my lifetime, I'm older than you, and, 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 I, and I'm sure you would agree that these are hurried, stressful times in terms of time. So when you have a 30-second or a 60-second spot on the radio, or you have five, six, seven, eight minutes of commercials in a row, uh, that kind of works opposite uh, to the idea that radio is a free medium, because time is not free. Uh, do you think that radio is facing a problem? Commercial radio is facing a problem in dealing with that thing we call the commercial? Yes, I do. Uh, by the way, I concur with you on the notion that the 21st century will reveal uh, that clean water is becoming more and more scarce and that privacy is becoming um, much less possible and that time is quickly evaporating. No question at all on those three things. Um, I don't. We've always accepted in the broadcast medium and the radio medium the notion that commercial lengths, commercial segments, commercial pods, commercial breaks, that the audience would um, 
would hang us with us through five or six or seven minutes of, of commercials. Um, and when we were not so hurried and we did not have so many entertainment options and we were not so repatterned to constantly be entertained or paid attention to, that may have been okay. Uh, I, I wish for and would hope and would work towards a time when we're never more than two or three minutes away from programming. And if that means less commercials sold in the course of an hour, which is not a popular notion, but it's an important one, I hope we get there because that really is representative. Uh, Michael, when you, um, when you watch and look at Facebook as an example and you look at the length of time people will watch a video segment um, on Facebook Live or in any form, at about 35 to 38 seconds, um, the world just stops vanishing from that. Um, if that's any indication, and there's real studies there because that's a new medium that's digital and digitized and accessible with that kind of research, um, we would we probably would learn from that in the radio business. Mm. It's interesting that uh, that is the case. However, <laughs> thank goodness there's a concurrent movement in a different direction, and that is there is a market for long-form conversations, or otherwise you and I would be talking to ourselves right now. We call, <laughs> I, I, we call it the deep dive. I, I love that term. The deep. Mm-hmm. You, you have to keep up with all these terms. <laughs> but the deep dive. The deep dive conversation. That's what you and I are having right now. We're having a deep dive. We're going real deep into right into the, the culture of audio and radio and all that stuff. and uh, But the, the the requirement to pull that off is you damn well better be interesting. Uh, I think gone are the days when you can mail it in, regardless of what you're doing in the media. Uh, there's no more filler. There's no more room for fluff. No, there's not. You have to be incredibly present in this conversation, and I have to be incredibly present in this conversation. And that is the first requirement towards interesting each other and thinking about um, what we want to impart to each other that others might vicariously witness in the form of listening to this conversation and walk away from it saying they like each other, they respect each other, they have a shared fascination for each other uh, or the topic that they're talking about, and they want to share something with individuals who are interested enough to pay attention to the subject matter we're talking about. Now, you were around uh, through a number of changes in this industry. I think we're coming into the uh, post-consolidation era. Uh, I mean, we're in the the edge, the end of the consolidation era. There's no proof that it's ending, but there are factors that indicate maybe uh, there will be more owners and smaller smaller giant companies. Um, but you were, you were there at the beginning of this. Uh, you were one of the co-founders of uh, Premier Radio Networks, which I think now calls itself Premier Networks. True. Um, th- that was back in the 90s, if I recall. Am I correct? Uh, you are. Um, Premier Networks uh, came into existence in 1987. Wow. Uh, and uh, in that time, there were a half a dozen broadcasters that all came together, five on-air personalities or writers and myself who had more of an administrative or a sales side to life. And the six of us uh, launched that company. I had a very small um, percentage of that, uh, but a, but as equal amount of an interest in that. And 
that company um, started to witness the, a, um, a real renaissance in the value of radio syndication, uh, largely founded by a friend of yours, Norm Pattis, who did more for radio syndication than anybody ever has in our business. Um, by the mid-90s, when Premier had gained some real momentum, we started witnessing, particularly in 1996 and 1997, uh, the consolidation of our industry in a, in a massive and forever-changing kind of way. Now, you wound up uh, uh, going up through the ranks and through sales and everything to eventually being president of Premier. Right. And, and that, uh, as best I could look at the roots of your career, and, and again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, you've got lots of roots that go in many directions. That was like the big escalator ride for you, I think, that, that, took, you, that took you to the top of the captains of industry, so to speak. Is, yeah, that, is 19- that accurate? It's true. 1996, 1997 uh, was that time period in my life, uh, professionally, and I did find my way uh, to the presidency of Premier at a time where we were fortunate enough to uh, be owned uh, first by JCOR Communications and then by Clear Channel, and um, with their support and endorsement of syndication and uh, uh, programming, um, not only expressed in dollars in the form of investments, but also in carriage or the clearance of radio programs and the development environment of radio stations. Um, Premier was the proud distributor of um, Rush Limbaugh's radio program, Dr. Lore's radio program, Art Bell's radio program, um, and, and dozens of production services and uh, uh, services. Jim Rome started his national syndication career at a scalable level there at that time. Uh, it was a, a robust time in radio syndication for me and for that company. In that time, you were uh, the president, you were an executive, you were a, uh, a suit, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you came out of that experience managing a number of the top talents that were there, which indicates to me, looking back historically, that there's something in your nature, something in your appreciation of the various components that make up radio that respects talent or um, has a uh, an empathy and an understanding of it. Am I correct? You very much so. Uh, I really do believe that in this industry, talent comes first. Um, building a incredible team that supports that individual uh, or that team of individuals that go before the microphones come second, um, building a business environment around them that allows them to realize their greatest dreams, their greatest potential comes third, and sharing the success of that uh, with broadcast companies that choose to associate with those talented individuals comes right after that, and that's what makes the world go round. Um, and I think the way that I practice that uh, earned the trust of a lot of personalities. And whether or not it was Casey Kasem or um, or somebody as new to the scene in 1997 as Ryan Seacrest, um, that came together very nicely. Uh, is there resistance? Is is it a difficult time in the uh, hyper corporate atmosphere of consolidated radio for talent to be 
uh, presented, appreciated, nurtured, cared for, uh, you know, exploited in a positive way uh, in this environment as it was in the day when uh, there was more of an awareness of the value of talent. Are these tough times for talent? And I'm not talking necessarily about your your big ones, although even they probably, all, all ships rise and fall together, even they probably feel the crunch if, in fact, there is one. Uh, there, there is a crunch. Um, it is. Uh, it's not as bad as anyone would presume or to think. Uh, I first and foremost, I really do think that individuals who are talented are appreciated, and for many hours of the week, they are left alone to make the kind of on-air uh, presentations and uh, audience relationships they have. But it's changed a lot. Um, as an example. Uh, an air personality today needs to have an instinctual knowledge of how the PPM meter works if you're in the top 48 markets. That is the metric of which you have to perform by. Uh, and that means that you have to have tremendous word economy. You have to say things with fewer words faster, leaving a lasting impact, and then move on to the next topic. Um, if you are a, um, a personality today, you need to be able to record segments of a program not meant to be heard immediately. In other words, that live stimulation that air personalities once upon a time in radio knew, that was when you went on the air at 6 o'clock at night uh, in any given city as just an example that there would be an audience there waiting for you and you would feel their energy, whether or not it was through the request lines or just through the instinctual knowledge. Now as a personality, at 10:15 in the morning, you might be recording for 6 p.m. that night, and you might be doing it for eight or nine cities. Mm-hmm. And you just have to have a different set of instincts to say, "Am I relating to people I will never meet, but need to be held accountable to holding them to this particular radio station as a listener?" It's like movie That's acting. It. It's, uh, it's yeah. They call it method acting. Uh, That's exactly you, you, ha- you, it. you have to actually believe you're on in the morning in Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> right? <laughs> you you got you to get into a Fairbanks state of mind. Mind. Yes, you do. Uh, so those things, are, those things are different. And I think that the last part of that, um, every industry has uh, shrinking profit margins, whether or not you're an automotive maker, you're a home builder, you're an online retailer, or you're a radio broadcasting company. And uh, part of it is that we're, we're paying for the cost of being able to acquire those radio stations. Uh, the second aspect of that is the level of service uh, that you have to provide. Um, and that does leave fewer dollars available for most on-air broadcasters. It's not a dramatic pay cut, but it is a, it's a different kind of ceiling that you're going to hit your head against that you have to work harder to, um, to get through. And that, too, is a new challenge for really interested broadcasters who see our medium as a place to really thrive and to just make a, a lot of money. So are you optimistic about the future of the radio station business? Uh, we've talked about audio media. We, we talked about podcasting. and we, we talked about radio to this point. I'm constantly asked by reporters uh, in my position as, uh, as somewhat of an expert on the business uh, by publishing a trade. You so, are. You, know, well, you are an expert on our business. As, as much as anybody can be. Uh, I, I always tell people, that, you know, anybody who claims to be an expert better go back to school because the, the, most, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't 
know, but that's neither right. here. To, but thank you. Um, yeah. What um, What do you see? Do you, do, do you see the radio station industry um, getting through this uh, period and getting back to some type of a, a balance and, a, and, and traction? Yes, um, because uh, two things are happening, I think, in this industry. First and foremost, the brand of a radio station is as uh, impactful and powerful as it ever has been. In New York City, if you got into a cab and said, I want to listen to the traffic report on 1010 Winds, that cab driver or anybody else around you would know that is one of two radio stations in New York City that will not lie to you about how traffic and weather are performing as a part of a day in the community that you're in. Um, and similarly, you could say, you know, that CBS FM in New York City is a place that is going to be a mirror to the community on the kind of music and the vibe and the and the sense for a certain segment of the audience, as is 107.5 BLSFM, and, and I'm just using New York City as an example. Those brands carry great value, and whether or not the next consumer of audio, the next consumer of radio, chooses to listen to it through a, a Bose radio in their office or on their car radio in their car or on their phone, which is the new transistor radio, Radio has an advantage over anything else and everything else because those brands have been established just as much as as Macy's has or um, uh, as a, a city field has or um, any number of other you know retail locations. Uh, that that um, that's an asset that we have and have not squandered and have only reinforced the value in. Well, I, I would hope then, if, if you're correct, and I believe you are, uh, that the people that um, are responsible for what happens in radio uh, respect the value of the brand, the heritage, the call letters, the image, and don't, as you used the word, squander it. Uh, because there have been many times in the last 30 years I've seen some squandering happening, and you wonder, what are they What are they thinking? You know, yeah. but um, hopefully... That's true. That has happened. Yeah. No question. But the... Um, the way in which companies like Intercom are um, operating today with great fiscal responsibility and an investment in their brands around the nation, um, the way that iHeart Media has truly been the champion of the radio medium to so many advertisers taking advantage of the scale and the size and the things that they can do, or the responsibility of the new management of Cumulus Media who has shown you can learn to live within your means and you can um, empower and incentivize people in local communities. And that's just three examples. I mean, there are other great broadcasters at Alpha Media and at Newhoff Media. Um, You know, you can go up and down the list of broadcasters in America. Um, Our radio stations are held right now in really responsible hands of broadcasters, I believe. And that's maybe one of the best headlines that'll come out of 2018. Yeah, and often they get blamed for some of the mistakes that were made along the way. One of the things I'm always saying uh, when I'm interviewed is that uh, the people running these stations are not the ones that got them into the trouble. They're the ones that are trying to get them out. Mm -hmm. You're right. 
And, you are correct. And, and that's uh, something that is often, you know, in this world of sloshy information and short-term attention span, uh, it's not always easy to get that message across. Let's talk for a moment about the Radio Hall of Fame. Are you um, having fun uh, being involved in such an enterprise? Does it take a lot? Of, does it take a lot it of is, time? <laughs> it is the greatest non-paying position I've ever had. It, it truly, um, it is, and. Uh, I'd say so. Again, it ties back to the piece of my professional life I have the greatest passion about, which is recognizing outstanding talent, and in this case, giving them forever recognition. So that part is is fantastic. Um, the second aspect of that is um, being able to work with some of the best broadcasters and watching the day and, and capturing the moment when they receive gratitude and recognition from the industry that they have been in for anywhere from, you know, uh, 10 to 60 years. Um, And third, uh, watching a collaboration that goes on between 30 people or so who are on our nominating committee who uh, go through the tough task of figuring out what 24 individuals get nominated and put in front of the radio industry for a vote. Uh, and uh, and then reconvening to say, who else needs proper recognition? Um, that's, that's a great, great honor to be uh, the chairman of the Radio Hall of Fame. Has uh, this position uh, put you in a situation where you have um, been forced, uh, pleasantly, hopefully, to learn about the radio's history, about about things that you probably didn't know about. I mean, the radio is so massive; it's on so many tracks. The history, every city has its history. Uh, <laughs> every time right. I think, every time I think I've uncovered a first, I found out that something was firster that I didn't know about. Uh, it's such an enormous history, and unlike other fields like motion pictures. And television, radio history really is kind of nebulous out there. Uh, it, it's it's not as concrete a thing as some of the other arts. So, have you learned a lot about the history of radio? I have learned so much more. Uh, yes, and I'll give you just one great example. Last year, in November of 2017, the Radio Hall of Fame inducted a broadcaster by the name of Bob Seavers, uh, who spent. 50-plus years doing mornings at WoWo Radio in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, I've been in the radio syndication business for a long time. I I know call letters. I know dial positions. I know signal power, um, ratings performance, maybe as as well as the top 10% in our industry. Um, I never knew Bob Seavers had 50-plus years of telling people in Fort Wayne what the world was going to treat them to that day. Um, I, he was uh, an enigma to me until somebody presented him to the committee. And I just felt, wow, how did I miss this? And, and what else have I missed so far? Um, and, Michael, that is, uh, that's the humbling moment and the part where you just realize I do not know a fraction of what I need to do to be you know, worthy of this position. Would you say then that it is important going forward for radio to maintain its local heritage as well as the great national talent that's out there, that um, that, that for radio to remain as a pertinent, a, an iconic institution in popular culture in the 21st century, that the concept of the local station, the local host, the local history must be preserved? Um, yes, certainly the, the local... Um, 
uh, for lack of better words, brand relationship that a particular radio station has. Um, WTAM AM in Cleveland is is just a great example. You know, AM eleven hundred in Cleveland is you know all things to so many people in that area, from their relationship with the Indians to their midday personality, Mike. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's six hours of the day where Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh entertain audiences there, and and late at night. You know, a, a talk show host that's on 600 stations. Um, but at the same time, um, that radio station makes sure that they are the first place people tune to for news when things are going well or things are going wrong in Cleveland. That, to me, is what is worth preserving. In conclusion, uh, without getting too deep into all the personalities you've worked with, um, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't uh, spotlight Rush Limbaugh. Uh, Rush Limbaugh uh, has been uh, obviously uh, a a mountain of importance to the radio industry, as well as the talk radio industry, as well as the AM radio industry, uh, to the political industry. Uh, You have been very close with him and continue to work with him. Uh, He's a mysterious figure. You you, you don't see him out and about. Uh, He uh, is uh, still going strong. Uh, Occasionally he's in the news. Occasionally he creates a dust up. But what's the reality of Rush Limbaugh? What what could you tell us about Rush Limbaugh that uh, perhaps we don't know or that uh, we should know? Uh, He is a remarkably kind and generous person. Um, He is a... uh, uh, somebody who listens more than he speaks when he is off the air. Uh, he has a an amazing interest in getting to know others who uh, uh, spend time with him because he finds those individuals fascinating and interesting. Uh, he is um, somebody who works um, maybe uh, 10 or 12 hours of the day in, an, in preparation for the next three, day, three hours of programming. Um, somebody who has nearly 30 years of broadcast experience as host of the Rush Limbaugh show, you would think might not need uh, 10 or 12 hours of the day to prepare for three hours of broadcast, but yet he does. Um, He has uh, such an appreciation for the broadcasters who brought him to the industry and to the success that he's had for himself and his family, Michael, that he is uh, humbled by it. Uh, he still searches for words to express uh, his appreciation to the listeners who have uh, stood by him and just continue to make uh, him a part of their everyday life. Um, he uh, uh, He's just truly in love with what it is that he does. It is the best three hours of his day uh, when he's on the air noon to three Eastern. Uh, and... Uh, these are really interesting times in the United States, and he has chosen to make sure that it's only in that three-hour period that he shares his observations. He purposely has not accepted a, any number of two dozen opportunities to be on television every day or to write more books that are thematically the same as his three hours of radio. Um, he does not engage in the public speaking circuit where he could be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars at any one event. Um, he 
he saves it all and he pours it all into those three hours of the day. Is there something to be learned from that? I often wonder about that, you know, because the, the current philosophy, of course, Rush Limbaugh used to be everywhere. And he, yes. he got to a point now where he can afford to do this and, um, and, and it works for him. But is there something to be learned from that as we increasingly move forward into the digital era and the multi-platform era that um, the philosophy, you've got to be everywhere, can actually have diminishing returns? You you can be too much of a good thing. Um, yes, there is something to be learned from that. Uh, the, you know, there are two things that I think learn from that. One is um, know what you do best and do it better than anybody else. Just have pure excellence uh, in all of the material, uh, except the fact that 80% of what it is that you discover in the course of the day will probably end up on the cutting room floor. Um, and... Uh, withstand the opportunities to be in front of an audience uh, or in front of a television camera uh, or others. And it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. It it happens to work uniquely well for him. Um, And in his particular case, that's how he's chosen to say, I want to have the highest ratings humanly possible. How do I do it? And the way he does it is by making it all about that three-hour experience. And, you know, he's got a, a cutting-edge app and a tremendous, robust website, so there are other ways that people can catch up to speed with him, but it's all focused around that three hours of content creation. Uh, and like I said, it it works well for him. There are other individuals. Sean Hannity is a great example. Mark Levin is another great example. Steve Harvey is a phenomenal example. Ryan Seacrest is as well, that are using other mediums to stay connected to. Um, Tavis Smiley is another, you know, behind that. Um, there, I mean, there's just, you, the list goes on. Um, it's the path that Russ has taken that I think, um, to answer your question in a long-winded way, uh, that's made him so successful 30 years into syndication. Give me a kicker now so we can end this conversation or I'm going to keep you on forever. Um, what's your view of the state of society per the media changes in general? Let's step back from radio. Where do you think we're going uh, over the next 10, 15 years? Are you optimistic? Are you worried? Uh, I know that's a big question. but mm-hmm. uh, Oh, no. But it's uh, we are headed towards a highly individualized um, consumer-driven, consumer-chosen form of entertainment. Uh, when I work with personalities that I help to manage the careers of who sign contracts, you know, ending with the year 2022 or 2023, I know that in that year, 2022 or 23 or whenever it might be five years forward, the consumer will be able to, on demand, choose the radio station they want to listen to, uh, time shift it, uh, listen to a particular air personality. They'll listen to their morning personality in the afternoons. If they don't have the chance to listen in, in mornings, they'll listen to their favorite talk show host at a given time. Um, we'll see the first uh, automated cars that are, um, if you will, self-driven, uh, where we'll be able to watch you know, and binge watch on a Netflix series um, on a screen that is larger than the one Tesla provides. Uh, and instead of having to worry about the road, we'll be focused on that. Um, there is a very consumer-driven need to be entertained and a industry 
that is prepared to entertain those individuals um, on an on-demand basis, uh, highly individualized. And uh, that's why I am so optimistic about our future. And there you have it, an uninterrupted conversation with the chairman of the Radio Hall of Fame and one of the radio industry's most influential consultants, managers, and entrepreneurs, Craig Kitchen. For information about the Radio Hall of Fame, please visit www.radiohof.com. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MHInterview. I can be reached directly via email at michaelattalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Michael Harrison Interview. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Interview is a presentation of Podcast One, produced by Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Music